0: Well, good morning, Grace. Good morning, Grace. <laughs> well, a loud clap in there. My bad, dude. My favorite brand. Come on, John. I love it. I want to ask you guys a question. I wasn't gonna do this. Um, just was praying backstage, and I felt I felt God maybe said, "Let me ask this question." Um, we are often asked this in staff meetings as kind of a way to gauge where us and Jesus are at on any given day, because I think we can all say yes and amen that we know God's good, yet we don't always feel it the same every day, right? So I'm gonna ask you guys a question. I want you to think about it for a couple seconds. If you were to have to rate where the state of your spirit is right now from one to 10, what would you say? In your own space, in your own space. Think about that for a second. One to 10, where would you you rate your spirit? I think I would say like a 6.2, you know? There's been times recently where it was maybe as low as a two or a three, and there's been times recently where I was at 11, which isn't an option, but Jesus is powerful. (laughs) Um, I don't know where you're at this morning. I know where I'm at this morning. I know what I've had going on the last week, two or three. Uh, I know that I barely slept at all last night because I have two little daughters with ear infections, you know what I'm saying? Uh, And and yet, I, I came out here and I felt like I had to give you guys the most simple yet most profound, amazing encouragement ever. And it's that whatever you're feeling today, however you're feeling today, it changes nothing about the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross for you, forgiving you from every sin you've ever had, or made, or ever will make in your entire life. And because of that, you get to spend eternity in heaven with him, if you would so believe it. And I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling lower than a 10 and I remind myself of that, God's like, got me to 15, you know what I mean? And I hope you know that's available to you today when things are good, when things are bad, when things are easy, when things are hard. That is available to you because while we change and situations change and circumstances change, you know who does not? All right, that's the message, let's pray. All right, y'all, we need to wake up a little bit. Like I said, I didn't sleep. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that to make you laugh, and that will wake you up. But before we do that, here we go, here we go. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I want everybody to stand up real quick. I want everybody to stand up real quick. Notice I say I don't know if I'm allowed to do it. I don't ask, okay? Um, I want you to find someone you do not know. I want you to find someone you do not know, and I want you to learn their name and birthday right now. Just one person you don't know, their name and their birthday. Come on. July, July 2nd. July, July 2nd, 2004. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like, I like when the Church of Jesus buzzes like this. Come on, that's how it should sound. Yeah, yeah. All right. They only have one birthday, so let's relax. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of y'all, some of y'all acting like you met someone with 38 names just now. Maybe like 14 middle names, five first names, a 19 hyphenated last name. All right, I hope, I hope that y'all did this little exercise, because there's a quiz! Real quick, shout out the name and birthday of the person you met, go! That sounded like Bible names, unintelligible. We're reading Genesis 10 today, so. All right, none of that was planned. I just think church is meant to be fun. Jesus made fun. Uh, Jesus has the spirit of joy, therefore we should have that same spirit. Uh, I'm gonna tell you my tired story. So I slept about probably 3.21 hours last night, said my tracking app, I don't actually use that, I should. Uh, but I got two little sick babies. We, I think, we think they have ear infections as of last night. So wifey's not here. She's being a great mother and taking them to the doctor this morning. Uh, but my little Evelyn, she's four. Uh, she came into our room last night and she was very upset about how bad her ear hurt. You know, it's heartbreaking as a parent, right? So she gets in bed. It's like, I don't know, one o'clock. I didn't look at, it felt like, I don't know what number is really late. That number is what it felt like. And she got in bed and I was like trying to, you know, comfort her. We got a little medicine and it, you know, she didn't she wasn't didn't stop you know the pain kept going or whatever and finally we kinda get her down she starts to doze off and this point is probably 2, 2.15 and then this little girl similar to daddy just starts snoring (laughs) my four-year-old snores and I'm not joking and Jess is always like why do you snore and I'm like why does she snore I can't help it either And uh, she's snoring and she always leans towards daddy's side. I don't know if it's because she likes to turn to the right. How many of y'all sleep on the same side every night? You know you do, come on, right? We're creatures of habit that should teach us something about ourselves. But she always rolls to the right, which is my side, and she tends to just wiggle further and further and further. Now we have a king size bed, blessed be the king size beds. It was the one thing in life I never knew I needed till I got it, okay? Uh, somehow, though, in this king size bed, which uh, encompasses about 40 acres, I get a half of a square, you know, like one half of an acre. Okay? And this little daughter starts, you know, in creeping on my half of an acre. So it's about 3 o'clock at this point, and she is snoring directly in my left ear. There may be a six inches between her hot, sick breath uh, and the loud sound of her, you know, whatever snor- makes you snore, I don't know, that sound in my ear. I processed some things in that moment and it's gonna be uh, relevant to what we talk about tonight is that how we react to things. I thought through three scenarios, I said one, I could just try to go to sleep, not possible. I said two, I could leave, I could just go jump in another bed for the next like three hours and try not to show up to church, a hot mess. And then number three, I thought I could slowly lower her out of the window and have her sleep in a bush for the night. <laughs> Jess was mad when she woke up that morning. No, just kidding. Uh, I chose number two, and you know how we do it, specifically men. Well, I mean, maybe ladies too, but I like my sleep. I need my sleep. I'm not a morning person. Uh, I'm trying to be, you know what I'm saying? So I did one of these. I was like, I kept trying to push her away. I'm literally pushing my four-year-old, physically pushing her. I'm trying to roll her over. She stays asleep and rolls right back, you know what I mean? She loves daddy. she got the natural attraction. And then at like 3.31, I literally, I'm, I did one of these. I was like, <sighs> I ripped my pillow out and I stormed off to another room. I woke the entire house up. I didn't react the right way. Anybody else had less sleep than that? Can we just be on the same? Okay, all right. I'm gonna recap quickly the last couple weeks. uh, Hopefully the the room feels ready for what we're gonna receive today. Um, But I wanna recap quickly Easter as well as our last week of Genesis as we will be going to Genesis 9 verses 18 through all of chapter 10. So if you got your Bibles, your electronic devices, go ahead and open them things up. But how many of you guys were here for Easter last week? Easter last week. Awesome. First of all, praise God for he is risen. risen Someone said amen. That works too. That works too. You weren't here. That's fine. I'm just playing. I'm just playing with you. I'm just playing with you. Uh, I got to tell you something. I loved how packed the room was in both services. I want that to be every Sunday. Not for the sake of numbers not for the sake of it looking good for Grace Fellowship Church, but because there were a lot of people here last week and we love them to death, who won't come again till Christmas and two times a year isn't enough to know Jesus. So let's be people that fill this room up for the sake of knowing Jesus, how about it? I want every week to look like Easter. But I love what Ben said, and he challenged in such a fresh way, and I love that he didn't, in my opinion, just go with the kind of typical Easter message. Like, do you know he rose for you? He's so good, awesome. Please fill out an information card on your way out. (laughs) You know? No, 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 he said, hey, listen, that same gospel you needed the first time you got saved is the same one you need today. It's the same one you're going to need tomorrow. It's the same one you needed yesterday. And I left realizing, man, Easter is as much for me today as it was when I got saved when I was 21. And I hope that as believers, we're actually growing in our appreciation of the gospel, not it becoming mundane to us. That's a dangerous place to be. But he killed it. And then the week before that, uh, Mark talked about uh, the first part of chapter nine in Genesis, as well as chapter eight, the story of Noah, and specifically what stuck out to me the most was the rainbow when he talked about how this is one of God's ultimate promises to us. One of the biggest, most marquee promises to us. And yet in the culture today, it's been so twisted to be something that it's not. And that's not a knock on anybody specifically. It's solely that the Bible says one thing and it's been turned into another thing. And I love that he says, we gotta reclaim that. Like, can I tell you something really sad? Like, my wife is hesitant to buy stuff with rainbows on it for my daughters. When it was one of the biggest promises ever to be given from Jesus. Like, that's heartbreaking. And you know what she did? She went out and bought a rainbow shirt. After that message, Mark, I didn't tell you that. She really did, she went out and bought a rainbow shirt. Let's reclaim it, right? And that's what he talked about. And that's where we're going into, that's where we're picking up from right there, right after verse 17, where it says that this was this promise right, that uh, was given to, like, the people of God uh, via Noah. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to start in verse 18. It will be up on the screens for you. But if you would, pray with me. Jesus, it's been said already today, but I really just truly am thankful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, because if you weren't, things could tend to suck, and I'm thankful that they don't. I'm thankful that you are so good and faithful when I'm not. I'm thankful that you are there when I don't show up. I'm thankful that you are gracious when I'm prideful. I thank you that you are kind and gentle when I'm angry. You are the perfect model of everything we should be And I thank you that you did it for me. I pray today that the word would come alive to us, maybe in a way that it never has before. I pray that uh, hearts in the room that are heavy, would would they just embrace in this moment that even in the valley, you promise us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Therefore, anything heavy is not from you. So would we embrace the burden you offer, not the burden that the world offers. We trust you with this time. Would your words stand Mine and all else's fall. pray all these things. And all God's people sang. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. I see y'all not singing. I'm pointing people out. Dude, it happens every time. This side's always behind. And this side always sounds worse. (laughs) It happens. I'm not joking. I think it's the acoustics of the room. I really do. Switch switch one week. If you ever had the same seat for the last 13 years, figure that out. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's, actually, let's talk about something. Here we go. We're going to start reading in chapter 9, starting in verse 18. Again, it will be up on the screens. Do you mind just following me, Heather? No? Okay. I'm going to read it to you guys. Hopefully you have your own Bibles. Hopefully you got your own Bibles. Here we go. The sons of Noah. Wait, do we have it? You just want me to click it? Oh, we don't have it. Okay. Got it. That's my fault. Don't look at my points yet. (laughs) Let me build up to them. All right, here we go, for real. (laughs) Verse 18, verse 18, follow along in your own uh, book with me if you would. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I looked up that annunciation, by the way, Japheth. Ham Ham was the father (coughs) of Canaan, (coughs) excuse me. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, Proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done, he said, Cursed, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. I need to know that diet plan. And then he died. Um, I'm gonna stop there. We are gonna talk about chapter 10. Now, when, uh, they scheduled me, meaning specifically Ben, Lawrence, scheduled me for this week. Uh, he asked, are you good for April 20, what's that, the 24th? April 24th. And I looked at the calendar. I was like, yes. He responded. And I, I almost brought the email and put it up. He said, great. Now that you've agreed, here's your passage. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally what he said. I'm not joking. And, and what uh, I think is funny about that is whether or not we believe it, we tend to approach scripture that way. Now, this was a joke. But we tend to like look at certain passages and say, I don't know what the heck is going on here next. Okay? Or chapter 10, for example, is is lineages from the beginning to the end. How about you? I'll tend to be like, cool, that's a page I can skip and th- say I read it faster. <laughs> so I challenged myself, okay, if every single word in God's word is intentional and from God, I should understand them. I should know what God's trying to say through it, the implications and importance of it. So I spent a lot of time studying. This passage, um, and why I start with that is because there's going to be a few things I want to pull from this to make applicable to us, but I was sitting with someone who I meet with on a weekly basis and just kind of sharing them the process of me studying this passage, and and they actually don't go to church here, it's just a friend of mine. And I told him after my first couple times reading it, what I immediately wanted to pull out of it was Noah's reaction after he had sinned. Right, so Noah got drunk here. It's the first record of drunkenness in the entire Bible. And on top of that, he was like a whole naked fool, right? So like, you know, don't, maybe don't visualize it too much, but you can kind of see what the scene looked like. And it seemed to me immediately that Noah woke up from acting a fool, from a sin, and his shame made him lash out in defensiveness. That was the first thing I wanted to pull out of it because I was like, well, Noah, you were the one that acted like an idiot, and now you're gonna go curse your grandson? It doesn't seem... Doesn't seem right, like that doesn't seem to line up with what I know in scripture. So that's what I was gonna pull, because I was gonna be like, dang, how often do we do that? Like how often do we act a fool? How often do we make bad decisions? How often do we make mistakes? And shame or guilt or condemnation makes us angry, makes us defensive, makes us divisive, and makes us wanna blame everybody else. Sound familiar? Okay, and I hope when you say yes, you're thinking about you. All right, but here's the thing. While I think uh, we do that and we shouldn't, I also don't think that's what God was telling in this story through Moses. And and as I prayed and I read some commentaries and kind of studied some historical stuff with the lineages and all this different stuff, I see that uh, the end of the story of Noah, that's what this is right here. So that we're getting to the end of the story of Noah is far more about the reaction of others to sin than his reaction to his sin. Say that again. I think it's far more about the reaction of others to sin, meaning how we react to sin versus how Noah reacted to his sin. Let me give you a couple reasons I'm being led to think that if I've got some Bible scholars in the room that are like, well, I agreed with that Noah point, which I think is probably valid too. Verse 20 and 21, real quick, it says, he was a man of the soil to plant a vineyard. Very next verse, when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and laid uncovered in the tent. That's the sin, right? That's the the issue. Well, just really quick, if that was kind of the the main point of this passage, like it skipped a nine month process, okay? You don't just plant a seed for a vineyard and get drunk right away, you know what I'm saying? He like put the seed in and it fell over, you know? (laughs) No, no, you grow the vineyard, then you got to take the grapes, then you got to mash them, then you got to ferment them. Like, there's a long process, like sometimes years, right, to make wine, especially good wine that's going to make you act like this. And yet, in two sentences, it just quickly glosses over, like, that's what happened. Let's get to what's next. So that's the first reason. I, I can't see how that would be the emphasis of this passage. How about this? In verses 18 and then verses 22 separately, it says the sons of Noah who came from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. It even says it in parentheses. It only highlights one grandson, one son of the son. And then just a few verses later, it says Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Why? It, it highlights two times in four verses that Ham was the father of Canaan. That's reason number two. I think that the reaction to the sin was clearly what God was trying to emphasize. And one more reason, and I think the obvious one, is that I don't think that the story God wants us to learn from here is is just simply like this. Two people, I do think it's this, that two people made uh, bad actions and only one gets punished. Like that's not saying that. Two people made a right reaction, one person made a bad one and one got punished. Therefore, I think what he's focusing on so much more is the son's reaction to someone sinning, not so much his lashing out. So I think the overarching story, before I give you my first point, is this. There's two responses to what Noah did. One's right and one was wrong. So I'm going to reread 22 and 23 for you. It says, when he, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth, I'm going to mix that up throughout this. Took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, then they walked in backwards and covered their father's body naked. Their faces were turned away so that they wouldn't see him. First point is this. The God, whoop. This thing's a little The godly response to sin is grace. The godly response to sin is grace, and I'm going to explain while this is a simple point so that you can walk out remembering it how this is so important and relevant to what we're reading. Noah makes clearly makes a mistake. No one's arguing against that. It's the first record of drunkenness in the Bible. On top of that, like I said, my dude was just like, you know, exposed inappropriately. Do you know what I mean? And yet, God focuses very little on the sin and much more on the response to the sin from the loved ones around him. And just to further that point, uh, before I explain and kind of make it applicable, why while we At Grace, we'll always preach the need for accountability, community, confession, repentance. We will always talk about those things. And the minute we stop talking about those things, we won't. So I think what this is doing is speaking so much to the initial response to a sin committed and the importance of that. Let me even break that down really, really quick. I, I, like we're called Grace Fellowship Church, meaning like we, it's one of our core things that we're, just, we're big on grace, right? These ideas of, of reconciling and coming back to each other and fighting even when it's hard to be at peace with all, right? What is the body? What is the, it's like you, the unified body is what makes the difference. A broken body is a terrible example to the world. And here I think while that stuff can, can, is integrally important, it's saying, hey, what you do immediately how you respond immediately when you feel something's wrong or you've seen a sin or someone, how about even the worst when someone's committed a sin directly against you. Your immediate response is of integral importance, even maybe more so than how you follow up with it. And Ham here, who is Noah's son, again, sees what Noah had done and rather than help him, rather than show grace to him, rather than show mercy to him, immediately goes and tells others to what he's seen. Some words that come to mind when I think about what's happening here is gossip, divisiveness, judgment. Get this, the the original Hebrew of this, this specific verse where it says told his two brothers outside literally says told with delight. What's this saying? He enjoyed making his father look bad. He found joy in shaming someone. He found joy in seeing someone's shortcoming, seeing someone's sin, seeing someone's failure and telling everybody about it. Making sure everybody knew. Now, let me challenge us, how many of us feel better when we talk bad about other people? And we do that in the most Christianese ways ever. (laughs) We'd be like in our prayer circle and be like, Father, I just lift up Jenny. She's been acting a whole fool out in the streets right now. She ain't been doing anything right, God. And I just am really, I'm sorrowful for where she's at in life. And I ask my brothers and sisters who knew nothing about this till right now to pray. <laughs> <for> my, <laughs> Hallelujah. I think our initial response sometimes can be to want to tell somebody so we feel better. It's a defense mechanism. We do it for reasons. We feel certain ways about ourselves. We know we have certain habits. We know we have certain sins. So when we see someone else, if we put them down, it makes us feel high, yet the Bible says the first shall be last. The Bible says the greatest should be a slave. I think the message here, right off the bat in this kind of closing part of Noah in Genesis nine is that if someone sins, whether against you or you know about the sin, and you respond in anger, you're wrong. You respond in judgment, you're wrong. You respond in gossip or slander, you're wrong. You respond with apathy or indifference, you're wrong. The initial response to sin in other people's lives from us should always be grace. Why? If you're like, well I don't know Phil, we gotta like, there's accountability and there, I agree and there's hard things that need to be said but what does the Bible say? Romans 2, 4, for the kindness of God shall lead to what? Repentance. If your goal for them is to change, shaming them will only push them further into that sin. If the Bible tells us that God's kindness and grace will lead people to change, why do we feel offering anything else will change the situation? I can tell you when I've had people in my life who have either hurt me or done hard things to me or are in hard situations and I don't go to them and immediately try to point out everything they're doing wrong, but I tell them I love them, their eyes go like this. I have a story that I'll never forget of someone close to my life who, who got arrested at a young age in, in a DUI. I think uh, she was 16 or 17. She had snuck out, taken her parents' car, gone to a party, gotten drunk, and was driving back and got pulled over. So there's a litany of problems with with that situation, correct? And the parents of this uh, person, were God-loving people, and they had been struggling through how to handle this individual There was a very difficult individual, love this person to death, they're still difficult, <laughs> someone I know well, so it's not, you know, it's not gossip, I didn't say their name. <laughs> and I'll never forget her telling me at one point that when she had gotten picked up, her, her parents had to go get her at like 3 a.m. From, from, you know, she was literally in a jail cell, and they get in the car, and she's waiting to get reamed out for like, you know, everything she had just done. And the parents had prayed ahead of time. They had prepared ahead of time. And, and you know what they did? They said, are you okay? We're just so glad you're okay. Because you could have, like, we could have not seen you again. Like, you know how much we love you? I see some parents already welling up in the room like, that makes me, that makes me want to do that, right? Do you see the difference? She had a list of sin that deserved, deserved to be yelled at about. Deserve to be reamed out. But that single story has stuck out to that girl her entire life. She's 27 now. It was over 10 years ago. Do you see how grace will lead to change? God's kindness will lead to repentance. Ham here did not offer that, but his other brothers did. The other brothers saw the same sin and reacted completely differently. My question to you is how do you react when someone sins against you, when you see someone acting a fool, when you see someone acting up? Are you ham and you go right to gossiping and telling other people and making them feel shame and making sure they know what they did wrong? I come uh, from family circles where the whole goal is to make sure you know how wrong you are. Someone has to be to blame. Anybody got families like that? Someone's got to be to blame or we cannot resolve this, which ironically is not resolution by any definition. And yet it says that Shem and Japheth walked in backwards not only to, to honor him and cover him up to fix the situation, but because they didn't even wanna see it. They didn't even wanna have to see it, so maybe the temptation to go tell someone would happen. You see the difference? We have to go to extremes, I think, as believers to make our initial response to sin grace because that's the godly response. But leading with that, leading into kind of a mini second point, do you do you kind of see Another point that this is making, because Ham here, I'm sorry if it's pronounced Ham, but I'm just going to say Ham this whole time. It sounds weird because that's food, but the names are weird in here, okay? Anybody in here named Ham? I would have let you come up and pronounce it if if you were in here. He had a chance to love and honor his father. I want to reiterate that. He saw something hard. He saw something bad. He had a chance to honor. He had a chance to show grace. He didn't choose that. And guess what, that chance was then gone. He had the chance to to show his father grace amidst a mistake and he did the opposite and because of that, there ended up being significant consequences which we're gonna talk about. But my second little point is this, it's not about what they did, it's about how you respond. I am passionate about this type of idea and here's why. I've never in my life, and I I haven't lived that long, and you know, of course, it's 2022, and we think everything's about us right now when there's been thousands of years of civilization, so we're we're weird like that. But my reference, I've never seen a culture more where you are the victim of everything. We are the most victimized culture, I feel like, ever. A lot of that has to do with social media, obviously. And the news, right, where everything's like they did this and they did this and you're the victim of this. And Joe Biden's ruining your life and Trump ruined everybody else's life and everybody's life was ruined by somebody. When the devil's one doing all that, by the way. But we're the most victimized culture ever. So let me apply that here, Ham used this opportunity to embarrass and shame his father. He saw something someone did, something he should have, shouldn't have done, meaning Noah, and he publicly shamed him while the other brothers didn't only not join in on the humiliation, they chose the higher road of grace and respect and honor. And the two brothers realized there was a wrong and they did something honoring in the process. But one took the opportunity to shame. Three people, the same thing that had happened to them. Three people experiencing the same, maybe traumatic, I I don't know. In fact, a lot of commentaries I read implied that more happened than just um, Ham kinda just looking at him and shaming him. Um, We'll talk about that in a second. But there were three people, two made an honoring choice in that situation and one didn't. Now here's what I think happens. The one didn't, fill in your situation. The one who didn't becomes the victim all of a sudden because he is about to be penalized for that choice. And yet, it's never been about what people did to you. It's never been about what other people do around you. It's always been about how you respond to that. Victim culture is a lie. And if you live in that your whole life, and you never work hard to make the right choices, and you never try to let God change your life and start owning things you need to own, you will constantly feel like the whole world's against you when no one has ever been against you except for you. And I say that sensitively because I know some people have experienced real hurt in here. And yet, even in significant pain, even in significant hurt, the only person you have control over is who? You, you. How you respond is so integral. And as believers, listen to me, uh, it is our job <clears throat> i mean literally it is our heavenly eternal job to encounter sin with grace knowing god's grace will lead to life change and choosing the opposite leads to consequences and i need you to hear me in the room and again i say it with sensitivity that so many of us have been victim to hard things meaning in an instant you have been a victim to something Maybe people have hurt you, abused you, degraded you, abandoned you, shamed you for past mistakes. But whatever it is, hear this, their actions do not dictate your response. They can't, they can't, because then how are you any better than them? And I even pray in this moment for for the person in the room that, that really feels that and can't do it because it's hard, grace on you. Let Holy Spirit do it for you because you're right, you can't do it. The most powerful thing you can do in life is respond to sin with grace because that changes things. And in the same breath, not responding that way can do the opposite. And I feel like that's what, as this passage continues, it's clear about. So let me reread verses 24 through 27. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, which that sentence is where some scholars pull out that more may have happened. Um, He said, cursed be Canaan the lowest of slaves, He'll be able, he will be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years and then a whole long time and died. So my third point, if we have grace but do not give grace, there can be grave consequences. I'm supposed to say grave Oops. Hey, if you judged me for that, <laughs> your response is the only thing you have control over. <laughs> I think what we see here is clear, whether or not we like it. Ham's sin against his father by not extending grace, not loving him in a vulnerable time, while his brothers went out of their way to be merciful, to be gracious. Ham receives what is worded as a curse against. Uh, his son. Now, I want to just briefly talk about that because if you studied this, and we hope you did, or you've studied this before, that seems anti-gospel, right? And I actually would argue that it is. You can read through Ezekiel and talk about how God doesn't necessarily function like that. But I read a lot of cool commentaries that said this was actually a prophecy of what Canaan would be in the future. If you, have again, heard the name Canaan, that ends up being the promised land. And we're going to talk about that as my closing point here in a minute. But There's a principle that I I try to live by and that I pulled out here and I love, and I think you can take it with you, and it's as simple as this. Hurt people hurt people. Loved people love people. And if we are people who have grace but do not give grace, there will be consequences for that. That, There could be a litany of that. Maybe, you know, you're not going to have a grandson of yours be like a you know, a cursed nation, you know, that might not be the case, but you might break relationships because you didn't show grace when you should have shown grace. How about this? And I think this one's worse. You might make Jesus look bad. If you claim you've been given a life-changing grace and you do not extend that grace to other people, that grace seems cheap to people who don't know Jesus. So so let me encourage you for the person who's been through hard stuff in the room, and how about this, all of us who will go through hard stuff if we're not already. Actually, we all just walked through COVID, so hmm. if we don't extend grace but we talk about life changing grace, no one wants that grace. And you know what's so powerful is even when you're hurt, even when you're messed up, even when stuff's been done to you and you can show grace to someone, I have watched a hundred times in my life people be like, what the heck do you have and how do I get it? Can I tell you some of the closest relationships I have in my life currently are relationships we didn't get along at one point or we had you know, problems at some point. I'm a very opinionated, passionate person. with a lot of peas. <laughs> that can naturally mean in my flesh, I will clash with people because I'm never wrong. Anyone say amen? And you know what God has changed in me so much? Pride to humility, it's as simple as that. Realizing life is infinitely less about being right and infinitely more about how right Jesus is. Yeah, hold on. One person agrees? Hallelujah. We'll we'll have a heart check. (laughs) As people give in grace, it's our job to give grace. How about this? It's not the world's job to give you grace. Please stop looking at politicians who don't know Jesus and think they should be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Please stop looking at your families who don't know Jesus and wonder why they're acting the way they are when it's your job to act the way. Can I tell you, I've had hard, hard family situations. I got a beautiful sister-in-law in the front row who can attest to the fact that her and I have significantly butted heads, yet here she is. Because even when it's hard, we've loved each other. Actually, I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share a story and not, not use names. Um, <laughs> what? Okay, seriously though, it was like five Thanksgivings ago, four, five, six Thanksgivings ago, I don't know. I'm just gonna skip details. I'm talking tempers went like, if the top of the thermometer is here, I mean, we were in the stratosphere, okay? Uh, And I, I, I leaned in. I did not, I was not the gracious one. I screamed screamed at one specific person. Um, I'm gonna be honest with y'all because we are a hot church, honest, open, transparent. The fakery doesn't do anything for anybody. I uppercutted a trash can across my kitchen. That's not fun. Megan, she can't even envision it. She's like, you can't feel it. you scrawny. <laughs> no, I'm not joking, y'all, I really did. I was that mad. There was some family stuff going on. Uh, I felt certain ways, and, you know, it was in my own house. I had the man pride thing, my house. You know what I'm saying? And it was bad. It was bad. We didn't talk to these people for, oh gosh, months, months. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? This has changed our relationship with these people. Is maybe a month after this incident, uh, I was still hot about it. I was honestly, there were moments where I was like, cool, don't need you. See ya. On to next. You know, ever felt that way? And God was like, nope. Nope. You're One of the most convicting things God ever said to me during this process of praying and healing and stuff, he said, what if I treated you like that? What if I treated you like, oh hey, you did that to me, Phil, see ya. You're too too tough, you're too much for me. And we had, oh gosh, one of the most uncomfortable, painful meetings uh, where, to be frank, I'm the believer in this situation. I had to own everything I did and it was not reciprocated. (laughs) And that's okay. Uh, One of the other people who was very much involved in this didn't even come to the meeting because they had no interest in reconciliation. And yet, can I tell you something? My relationship with that person is better than it's ever been. And it was ugly. There were moments where I wasn't sure if I was ever gonna talk to this person again. I don't know what it is for you. I want you to hear this. You have control of how you respond, that's it. And that changes things if you use it right. It's a weapon. God's grace is a weapon for change. So I don't know what it is for you. You know, broken relationships, uh, uh, hard people in your life. I think this list could just go and go and go. But the reality is there's consequences when people who are given grace don't give grace. So let me back this up just really, really quick if you're, if you're not sure, and I hope you are sure. Matthew 7, do not judge, or you too will be judged. From the same way you judge others, you'll be judged yourself. James 2, 13, for judgment is without mercy who has shown no mercy. I'm gonna read that one more time because I think this is like, for judgment is without mercy who has shown no mercy. Your judgment of other people is useless if you haven't shown them mercy first. You can go read James 2 for yourself. Luke 6, 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. This this has never been an option. I think what we can learn from Ham here and from Shem and Japheth is that if we have grace but do not give grace, there are consequences. So what were the consequences? The consequences were that Noah said, hey, and he had to have hated this, right? This is his family, but he said, hey, my grandson, like your sons, specifically your one son, he's gonna be a slave to others, and I have to plug this in here because this was so interesting as I studied this. I never made the connection, uh, and again, I'm talking about this very briefly in a second. I never made the connection that uh, Shem, Ham, and, and Japheth, as you go down these lineages through chapter 10, a lot of them are names of nations and descendants. It's not necessarily just saying, oh, he had three physical sons. It, it might be, and that may have been the name of the son, but but it, this, the word son in the original text translates to a whole bunch of different stuff throughout these passages, right? So you, you think of Canaan, that clearly was a nation. We hear all about the, the land of Canaan throughout the story of Abraham, Moses. Uh, uh, who's the dude that did the wall? Joshua. <laughs> I you know, snapped it into my head real quick. And that's where they were going, the land of Canaan. And now that's so interesting to me because what it's saying, what it's showing us isn't like, oh, he's gonna make his grandson a slave. Look what happens fast forward in Genesis. Canaan was in the land of Canaan. That's why it's called the land of Canaan. They had to go take over the Canaanites. Those were, Noah's, those were Noah's descendants. That was Noah's grandson's land, and yet the land wasn't promised to them. The land was promised to the Israelites who had to go through all that they went through, and then they actually went and conquered Canaan. Is that not wild to think about that someone who came directly from Noah wasn't given the promised land because of something he did? of a choice he made. And the reason I, I kind of talk about this, and I'm just gonna go ahead and give you my last point, is this, God has a legacy for you to leave, but our choices play a role. God has a legacy for you to leave, but our choices play a, a role. Um, chapter 10, you know, and, and from my Bible nerds, I hope you're with me, because I've pulled three good points out of 11 verses, okay? <laughs> so if you aren't full yet, I don't know what you wanna eat, you know what I mean? But I got more for you. <laughs> I'm 0. 0.4 out of 12. All right. <laughs> all right. Y'all didn't catch that one. So what I think this does, chapter 10 is called the table of nations. I'm not going to read through chapter 10. I would butcher every single name. I had to look up how to say Japheth. Okay. So if I tried to go through and just Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras, I think I did all right there. They get worse as you go, though. Ashkenaz, Riphath, Togmara, I'm not going to do that. I don't think the point necessarily is God saying, memorize these names. I think the point is saying, hey, look look how I multiplied the nations like I promised, and then look where they went and how they were treated according to their choices. Does that make sense? So he talks about this idea of Canaan, and we see it in, in chapter 10, uh, and you can see in little sections, I don't know how your Bible breaks it up, but mine breaks it up, uh, the Japhethites, the Hamites, and then the, the Semites. It takes the S out for some reason. Uh, but at the bottom of the, the Hamite section, it says this, Canaan was the father. It lists his, his, his people there, and then it says, this is in verse 18. Later, the Canaanite clans scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lashay. If you look up the promised land, this tells you where it is. Now, it's just crazy to me to think that A descendant of Noah, a direct descendant of Noah, occupied this land, but because of a choice someone had made, God was already planning to give it to someone else. How many of us in the room believe in Jesus? How many of us in the room are a son of God, yet the choices we're currently making are not gonna land us the legacy God wants for you? God is going to choose someone else to take what you are supposed to be doing because of decisions you're making. I wanna be very clear, that has nothing to do with salvation. You cannot sin your way out of salvation. It is a free gift from God. And in fact, it has nothing to do with what you do so that no one can boast, right? Yet, what we earn and achieve and experience in this life is very much dependent on our choices, very much dependent. So let me just challenge you as I challenge myself as I studied this. What do you think God has for you in the future? What legacy do you think he's leading you towards? And are your choices going to get you there? You are the only one who has control over that. You and Holy Spirit in you. And it's actually wildly interesting because as all these branches of different, we're gonna focus on Canaan, but as all these branches kind of go out, you can actually track historically to what regions they ended up starting. For, so for the sake of not just glazing over all of this and giving you kind of a generic point, which I think is really dope and important, I'm gonna give you a little history lesson. How, where are my history nerds at? Where are my people who like history stuff? Yes, Brittany, come on. I got like seven of you, good, history's the worst. Just kidding, I just wasn't good at it in school. All right, I'm gonna give you some examples. So, the sons of Japheth, they, they, I'm gonna tell you, like, I, I studied kind of where these regions ended up planning out and they're actually places you, like they're modern day places today, which is really cool to, to realize like, oh, the Bible's not just a bunch of crazy names from a thousand years ago that I have no idea what they mean. They mean stuff. So the sons of uh, Japheth, they become the beginning of the German people, the Russian people and much of India and the ancient Greeks. That's super cool. All right, how about the sons of Ham? while we already talked about Canaan a little bit, they also go a whole bunch of other places. They begin to be uh, the beginnings of much of Africa and the Far East, specifically Ethiopia, Egypt, and Libya. Notice one of Ham's sons is called Egypt. It's nations. It's talking about nations through a descendant. Isn't that so interesting? All right, hope it is. The sons of Shem began Persia, Assyria, Asia Minor, and more. I think it's just super cool to look that, you know, we don't need a, a history book in school to tell us about history when God wrote it here. And he was very specific about it. That's why lineages exist. If you think like, oh, I can't read Leviticus because it is the horrible, <laughs> do you see the importance now? Do you see how you can map out like modern day places and where people went and why they went there, how they got there and what God was doing? But, uh, and you can look those things up. So feel free to do your own studies there. Don't take my word necessarily for truth. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you can find that in commentaries and, and historical studies. But what I wanna highlight with this last point isn't who and, and where, but what. I think it's less important who and where, but what. What are they doing? How did they go about it? And like we said, this idea of the promised land, Canaan was a descendant of Noah. He was one of God's people. In fact, he was saved on the ark. So he was one of the people judged as righteous. So if you're in the room and you know Jesus, let me, you are judged as righteous because Jesus makes that decision for you. Yet they didn't end up in the promised land. In fact, it was taken from them. God has a legacy for you, but your choices play a role. We read lineages and I see legacies. I see the choices we make, the families and communities we build, and how those are affecting the world. If you aren't a Christian uh, attempting to be in good community, to build up good community, I like to call myself a community builder uh, because I think God's gifted me that way. But I don't do it just to have a bunch of friends. Like like in house churches, for example, we have a house church that's growing by the week and it's amazing, okay? Yet I've already got on my mind and my wife hates it when we're going to multiply again. She, she, if she was here, she would say boo and walk out. <laughs> she really doesn't like it. cause And she would say, it, it's uncomfortable. And, she, and we love these people, right? right. But I, I can't help but think, man, we're building a legacy. Like our house church has already multiplied once. We've doubled in size. Shoot, let's do it again. Let's hit a new region. Like we split, I don't know if Ty Ty in the room, but like we, we multiplied originally and we did a more south house church and a more north house church. Our Facebook group literally says the more north house church. And we did that, why, 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 why? Because we're trying to build into new areas and build the legacy God has for us. Or at least that's how I view it. I would challenge that we should all be viewing things like that. When I lead Awaken here and shoot, we, we saw 185 kids come recently on a single night. Do you know what I'm saying? The Grove, we got the Grove growing. We're like, like, a lot of local churches can't even sustain a small young adult ministry because young adults are the worst. I'm looking at them. I got a whole squad of them over there. Yet, yet, you know, over the summer, we're going to hit 80 people on a weekly basis. You know what I'm saying? And, and why? It's not about numbers. It's about building a legacy. I want communities to be built. Why? So then I can send them out. We can send them out to go do amazing things. Now we got people going to Temple University and starting Bible studies. Now we got people down in, in Towson leading young life. Do you see what I'm saying? We lead and we build a legacy and we make appropriate choices because we don't want God to take from what he's given us. But here's the thing, the Bible does say God gives and he takes away, correct? A lot of that in between there is what you choose in your life. Let's go right back to the victim mentality. If you live your whole life that nothing's your fault and everybody's against you, you you're gonna miss out on this, I promise. I promise. There's only one person who can take ownership of you and that's you. And I think this is kind of, like crazy and hopefully encouraging as well as challenging. But I, I hope through just, just 11 verses and a summary of a chapter, you can see that your choices clearly play a role in the legacy God would have for you. Because if anybody was, should have been guaranteed something, it should have been Noah's grandson, right? But I can't help but reiterate what we've said so much in this study of Genesis it, it is this. God's writing a story and again, we see someone else pick up the pen. Again, we see someone else pick up the pen. My question is, are you picking up the pen or are you letting God write? And when you walk around life like this, how you want it, and your timing, and your schedules, and if your house isn't clean, you're going to be anxious, and there's nothing I can do about it, God, and fill in the blank for you, work will stress me out. There's no choice in it. Those people are really hard, God. We can't get along. Uh, whether or not you know it, that's you holding on to life like this. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Drop the pen, stop writing your story because when you write, it's not good. Let me write it because I love you, I have a legacy for you. Let your choices back up what I've chosen for you. So let me ask you right now, what legacy do you want to leave? We have to be asking that type of question. You have to be asking what legacy you wanna leave or else you will not leave one. And God's got one for you. I want it very clear, you do not need to be me up on a stage talking to a lot of people to have a legacy. You will go invest in people I will never meet today. You will go have a witness in people's life I will never talk to today. You have people in your life that will listen to you and will never hear from preachy boy Phil because they don't want to. He talks too much and he's too much for me and he sweats on stage and it's weird, okay? I'm sweating, but they'll hear from you. Do you know that if you're introverted in the room, other introverts need you to speak up to them? Because they don't want to hear about my Phil. They want to hear you. You have a legacy, you have a story, you have a testimony, are you using it? Are you asking yourself on a day-to-day basis, what legacy do I want to leave? And then the second part of that is, do you realize the impact your decisions can make on that story? Because it can, and it will, and it does. Because God has a legacy for you to leave, but our choices play a role. I was contemplating how I wanted to close out. Um, and I want to encourage us in something. I want to encourage us. I, t- I tell this to my, my young people. Specifically, I say this to my young adults a lot. Um, I think we, lo- I personally love worship music, right? So, worship music is a way I connect to God. I listen to two types of music Christian hip hop and worship music. It's about 50 50. Okay? I love worship music, it helps me connect to God. You know what? I got convicted about at the Grove maybe like three, four, seven weeks ago. I'm not good with dates. Um, is that we were worshiping, oh no, 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 we, we couldn't have worship that night. Something had happened that we couldn't have worship. And I was bummed and I was like, I prefer worship. And God was like, reading your Bible is worship. Praying is worship. If you view worship music as more of worship than reading the word, you, you view it wrong. If you view worship music as less of worship than prayer, you're viewing it wrong. And I was super convicted about that because I think, like, I'll listen to, you know, elevation music, you know. Grace in the Guardians. You know. Actually, Lauren, I don't even like that song. You know that. Uh, I like I like more low-key songs. But anywho. Um, and, and I don't get that hyped in worship of Jesus through things like prayer. I'm missing something. Do You see what I'm saying? So, so we're going to close here in, in three minutes. I'm going to give, like, some next steps as we head out. But here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm gonna do. Um, I I want you, and maybe we'll dim the lights. uh, uh, Jesse, maybe we can put a little Spotify in the background. I don't know, I'm putting you on the spot right now. The Spotify right now. Um, I want you to find someone around you. It could be someone you know really well, and that might be really good, actually, for this. And and if you see someone floating by themselves, please be that bold person to go pray for someone that doesn't have anybody. Um, I want you to pray about your legacies, I want you to talk to each other whether you know them or not, establish what maybe you feel like God has called you to um, and maybe what you're not stepping into or maybe what, what you are moving forward and you want someone to pray for you to keep going, to have strength and boldness and courage in it. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't think you need to come up here and pray with a pastor. You're the body of Christ. If you have Jesus, you have Holy Spirit in you, therefore he translates your prayers for you and for me. It doesn't matter how eloquent I sound or you don't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's never mattered. So I want you to pray with somebody in your, in your church fam, okay? So I'm gonna pray for us really quick and then I'm gonna release you guys for a few minutes and I'll close us out as I feel the spirit leads. Sound good? Cool. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that even through this process, you, were, you just reminded me that every word you say is intentional. Every word you wrote down is intentional. God, I ask even personally in my own family, um, in my own legacy, if you will, God, the things that you have in store for me. First and foremost, I thank you that you have them in store for me. I thank you for the ones that you've revealed to me and the ones that you've motivated me to chase after. And, And yet, I know that there's things that get in the way, God. So first and foremost, I just wanna ask That you would help me, Jesus, to get rid of the things, the choices, the habits that I have that I either know of or don't know of, but you do, that are getting in the way of where you would have me bring both myself, my family, and my communities. Jesus, help me. Even in this moment, I just pray you would reveal something to all of us. And God, would this room right now, I just ask in Jesus' name, would this room be a a room of people who take seriously the legacy and calling that you have on their lives so that when they go to get to the place you've called them to, they'll receive it because they were faithful. And we thank you for your grace and mercy when we're not. We trust you with this time and we ask that this would be an uplifting time for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.